This past week, we celebrated 4th of July, and I hope you had a happy, safe 4th of July. Um, we, we've ha- used to have this tradition in our extended family, Julie's side of the family, where my brother-in-law, his birthday is July 4th, and so he kind of got to pick. And so for years, we went to Raceway Park, because he liked that. We'd go to Raceway Park, we'd all have a blast, watch fireworks, they closed, so we can't do that anymore. So they came out, to, they said, let's just go out to your house, because they live in the city. And we don't live in the city. So we decided, let's take advantage of the fact that we're not living in the city. And so there happens to be, like, there could be a lot of guns at my house on the 4th of July. There, there, was, there was an entire back of uh, an SUV probably filled with fireworks for this past year. I've heard that some of my neighbors actually, for fireworks now, they just put their chairs out in their backyard. <laughs> but... It's, it's a very special time for me, not just because of the whole, the, the fact that we are blessed to live in an amazing nation, and we, we're able to celebrate freedom, and um, yes, it's not as perfect as it could be, and, and things may be changing, but we still are able to celebrate that freedom and be able to do amazing things. But the, the main reason that it's special for me is not just that. That's July 4th. For me, July 2nd is actually a bigger deal because July 2nd, 1975, and many of you in here are going, whoa, that's like before TV and cars and stuff. <laughs> July 2nd, 1975, it was a Wednesday. I was, I'm not going to tell the whole story right now, but I was at Camp Patmos on Kelly's Island in Lake Erie, and I had been a phony my whole life playing church, playing religion, not satisfied with it, had really, I didn't know what a relationship with Jesus could be like, and had no desire to know that. And on that Wednesday night, July 2nd, in a very real, tangible way, God got a hold of my life. And I, I remember kneeling with, with my camp counselor, who a few years later passed away. He didn't know at that moment he had cancer. A f- uh, um, few years he passed away, but we knelt under this bush just completely annihilated by mosquitoes. I re- it's very vivid in my mind. I remember praying, and it's like, I don't know what to say. And he said, just say what's on your heart. And I said, I'm tired of being a phony. I want to be all in for Jesus. I, I want to trust him. I want to believe him. I've struggled with all this. I, 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 I've doubted everything for so many years. And I, I, was, I was 18 at that point. So you can do the math, figure out how old I am. It's, I'm old, okay? Um, and from that day, from that moment on, everything changed. I went from not knowing what I was going to do, just graduating from high school, pretty sure that it was probably like I was going to be able to have <clears throat> um, a place where I could, like, I could watch TV, I could have three meals a day, everything would be good. There would be bars on the windows, <laughs> but, but everything would be taken care of for me. I, I went from many things that weren't looking good to all of a sudden Jesus said, okay, I got a purpose for you, let's go. And I don't even to this day understand completely how it happened, but a couple months later, I found, my, I found myself at Bible college. I had not even taken the SAT or ACT test or whatever it was back then. A month into college, they said, we're having real trouble finding your records. I said, for what? For the SAT or ACT, whatever it was. And I said, my answer kind of gave it away. I said, what's that? <laughs> That's the thing you have to take to, to get into college? 
And so I'd been there like a month or two. I had to take the test. And it's like, no pressure, but if you fail, you have to go home. And so, interesting thing. My biggest fears, like for instance, one of my biggest fears is being in front of people speaking. A couple years in, I was at a church, the the church that was my home church in Ohio, um, uh, was home for the summer, and the pastor, a pretty large church, and the pastor said, well, you've been in Bible college for a couple years now, you want to preach? It's like, yeah, I'm going for youth minister, you know that, right? (laughs) And he said, yeah, but that would be cool. It was July 3rd, 1977. So I had now been a believer for two whole years and a day. And I'm standing up in front of this big church, but all I could think of was it's July 3rd. Tomorrow we're celebrating freedom. But yesterday is when I celebrate my freedom. Because that changed everything for me. And walking with Jesus now for these 44 years, has it been easy? Nope. But I wouldn't trade it for anything to watch what he has done um, in my life, in my family. I love talking about freedom at this time of year. Um, so today we're going to talk about freedom. Freedom from something. I brought my prop with me, just in case. No elbowing spouses. Best not even to look at them right now. We're going to talk about freedom from the old ball and chain. No, no, it's not a message about marriage. We're going to talk about freedom, though. We're going to talk about freedom from the shackles, from the ball and chain of sin. I read a very interesting quote this week. It kind of shocked me, actually, uh, based on who it was from. Um, Dan Brown, the guy who wrote um, Angels and Demons and, what's that, the biggie? Um, Somebody has to know this. Yes, yes, Da Vinci Code. I want to show you this quote from him. It just blows my mind. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Everyone thinks that religion is the ball and chain. And when you talk to people who don't know Jesus, that's what they think. Religion is the ball and chain. Here's what he said. The reality is that sin is the ball and chain. A relationship with Christ is the freedom that people are looking for in alcohol and drugs. That's amazing to me. That's, that's 100% true. Because people, are, people look at it, it's like, oh, the church, the religion thing, it's so restrictive, I can't do this, I can't do that. They look at it as the ball and chain, and it's actually, they're bypassing freedom. Show of hands here. How many of you have ever been with kids on a road trip? Can I see your hand? Some, some of you, I could see the look on your face. You had road trips we had some of those road trips. You'd have to go somewhere, you know, and it's probably a great destination. You're going, you know, visit Grandpa Grandma, or you're going to Disneyland, or you're going somewhere, you know, vacation or whatever. And it's a long trip. It can be three hours. It can be 30 hours. I don't know, but you're going on this long road trip, and you have kids. And so what you need to do is you need to pack everything possible for the entertainment of these kids on this trip. Now, when our kids were little, we didn't have, like, the iPads and iPhones. You had to have, you know, mechanical things, chisels and, you know, rocks and things like that all kinds of food snack stuff because you don't want to stop every 30 seconds and so you do all this and it might be a three four five hour trip but it never failed you're 25 minutes out of the driveway and what were the words coming out of the back seat are we there yet 
I have a feeling some of you can identify with that scene in one way or another. What that is, is that is a classic case of unrealized expectation. That's what that is. On one hand, the kids are looking forward to the fun and to the excitement of the destination. They want that. But on the other hand, the journey seems endless. You you haven't even got out of your neighborhood yet. And it, it seems restricted and unfulfilling. And no matter how many things we drag along with us to make it bearable, it just isn't. What I want to say today is really, in many ways, that's a picture of the Christian life. We are promised so much, so much in the Bible, but our day-to-day experience kind of seems to hold something else sometimes. And it goes even further. We're told that as Christians, we already have certain things. But at the same time, we're told that we have to wait for those things. It's the, it's the, uh, the theologians actually have a, a very un, un-theologian term for it. It's the now and the not yet. It's now, but it's not yet. We're told that we experience the kingdom of Christ now. But we anticipate the coming of his kingdom when Christ returns. So it's kind of now, but not yet. And we experience in some measure the resurrection of Christ now, but we await and we look forward to our own resurrection. It's kind of the now and the not yet. We're actually told that, that um, we're living in the new Jerusalem now, but you know what? We look around, it's like, yeah, that ain't happening. Because we're also told to anticipate the coming of the new Jerusalem. There are so many things in a Christian life that it says is, for all practical purposes, this is yours right now, but not yet. And so we live, we find ourselves in this in-between state. You know, we've left our old home, but we're not yet in the new home. We're still on the journey, but with this, this overlap, this, this transitional state where both the old and the new play a part. If you're a follower of Jesus, the old life is gone. But we've not yet managed to shake off its practices and problems. We've been brought into, the Bible says, a new life. But we don't always feel its freedom and the fullness of joy that we're promised. Can anyone as a follower of Jesus relate to that? I know many people struggle. I know many people struggle with not feeling saved. I said the words, I prayed the prayer, but I don't feel saved. And I believe that that many people are not believing that they're really saved because it doesn't seem like anything has changed for them. They had all these promises, but they're still struggling with sin. They're still struggling with these things they thought would be gone by now. So I want to share something with you kind of quickly today. It's going to be kind of real over you fast, but it's, it's very, very important. If you're a follower of Jesus, you serve a God who was, who is, and who is to come. That's what the Bible says. But did you know that you possess from him a salvation that the same thing could be said about? Was, is, is to come. Salvation from sin can really, it's not just like this one-time thing. It can be broken down into three different categories. Salvation from sin actually consists of freedom from three things. Three aspects of sin that we have to understand in order to to make it in this life. Here's the first one. 
Freedom from the penalty of sin. That's what we hear talked about all the time. I just want to quickly share some verses with you. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, talking about freedom from the penalty of sin, it says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We We didn't have a right standing with God. We were at odds with him. We were under his wrath. There was a problem there because of our sin. And Jesus, it says, who never sinned, God made him be the offering for our sin so that by having faith in him, we could be made right with God through Christ. That last sentence there, that blows my mind. I know me. I know the things I've done. I know the things I've thought. I know the things I still do that I'm not supposed to do. And yet this says, I can be free from the penalty of sin. I can be made right with God through Christ. In Colossians 3, 13 and 14, it says this, For he has rescued us, those who are followers of Jesus, from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, we're in the kingdom, but not yet. It's now and not yet. His dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom on the cross. It took blood. Just like the freedom of this country took blood, freedom isn't free. And our freedom costs God everything. He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In Ephesians 1, 6 and 7, it says this, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. You see, we can have freedom from the penalty of sin. I'm the one who deserved it. You're the one who deserved it. Jesus didn't, but he took the punishment. He paid the penalty so that we could experience freedom from the penalty of sin. So that's the first thing. That's sometimes where people just stop. It's all good. Free from the penalty of sin and they move on. They don't realize there's more to it than that. So first, freedom from the penalty of sin. Here's the second thing. Freedom from the power of sin. This is where we actually live. We live in this now and not yet kind of existence where it would be really nice if the power of sin didn't have such an incredible hold on us. But it does. But he promises freedom from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says this. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So what you're going through, you think, I'm the only one who's going through this. No, you're not. Everybody goes through it. We're all experiencing those temptations. We're all experiencing those things on similar, not necessarily the same level every time, but we're experiencing those things in in the the same kind of things. And it says, and God is faithful. Here's one of the most misinterpreted verses in Scripture. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Here's how... Half of the world translates this verse. God won't give you more than you can handle. It doesn't say that. Does it say God gave you the temptation? No. God doesn't tempt us. It says he won't allow you, permit you to be tempted 
beyond what you're able. It never says he won't give you more than you can bear. In fact, I have bad news. He will give you more than you can bear. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's not about your power. It's not about your strength. It's about him. And if he only gave you what you could bear, you'd walk through life thinking, (laughs) look what I can do. When he gives you more than you can bear, you have one choice, two choices. You can fall flat on your face or you can fall on him. And when we fall on him, because we can't do it, we have to depend on him and lean on him. So that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about stuff that comes into your life. It's talking about temptation. And he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's bad news if you've ever used the excuse that temptation was too much. I couldn't, couldn't handle it. There is no temptation that with God's help you can't handle, he says. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You're just like me. You're not looking for the way out. You're looking for the excuse. But he will provide a way out. That's freedom from the power of sin. He's promised it. In Romans 6.14, it says this, Sin, if you're a follower of Jesus, is no longer your master. For you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. And you think, but I don't feel free from the power of sin. That's not my experience. I know that's what you're thinking, so stick with me. So freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin. The one I'm looking forward to the most is the third one, freedom from the presence of sin. It says in 1 John 3, Dear friends, now we are children of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in Him and claimed Him as Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. He says, and what we will be eventually has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. It talks about, in that last section of that, it talks about the power of sin. It talks about we are free from that. But this is talking about there's coming a day when we are free from the presence of sin. In Romans 8.18, it says this, I consider that our present sufferings, and I know that many of you here are suffering great things. We're not suffering like Paul did and his list of things, but, but we're suffering. But he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And when I think of me, one of the things I don't usually think of is glory. But he said, someday that's going to be revealed, not just to us, but in us. In talking about heaven, specifically the New Jerusalem, it says in Revelation 21, nothing impure will ever enter it. Now, if that was the only verse I knew in the Bible, I'd say, well, I ain't going to heaven. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm so glad for the last part of that verse because my name's in the Lamb's book of life. Am I sometimes shameful and deceitful? Yes. Am I sometimes impure? Yes. You know what this means? That's going to change someday. When he comes back for me, I am going to be freed not only from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the presence of sin. So Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin by suffering that the wrath of God that our sins provoked. 
Jesus saves us from the power of sin by providing the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit through whom we can experience victory over sin's influence in our life. And Jesus saves us from the presence of sin when at the end of the age he returns to transform and glorify us in body, soul, and spirit. We have that to look forward to. You see, it's, it's, it's like tenses, past, present, and future. A Christian has been saved from the penalty of sin. A Christian is being saved from the power of sin right now. And a Christian will be saved from the presence of sin when Jesus returns. Each of these different like tenses of salvation has a big theological name. Now, we don't do a lot of big words here. But these words are all in the Bible. And so I want you to kind of get them. And so um, if, if, you're, if you're not ready, you might want to buckle up. They're big words, but they're in the Bible, and they are words that once you understand them, they will, the, the, the love and, and the passion they invoke in you will be amazing. In the past, we have salvation in the past from the penalty of sin. The biblical word for that is justification. Justification. Now, I had a professor who said, you will hear people say that the easiest way to remember what justification is, it means just as if I'd never sinned. That's kind of half right. Justification is, I am a stinking, lousy sinner. And because of what Jesus did, God declared me righteous. That blows my mind. So is it just as if I'd never sinned? From one perspective, yes. From the other perspective, it's not, because there was a huge cost that changed the entire universe so that I could be declared righteous. So it's a big deal. The fact that in the past... The penalty of sin was taken care of for me. The Bible calls that justification. In the present, being saved now from the power of sin, the biblical word for that is sanctification. Here's what that means. Set apart. Literally, it means set apart throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what it's saying is you have this thing and you are going to set it apart for God. You are going to set it apart as different and holy for God. That's what sanctification means. Sanctification is in the present from the power of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. Do I still struggle with sin? Yes, every day. Do I struggle with sin as much as I did 44 years ago? No. Because it's progressive. And as I follow him, I move through that process of sanctification. So we have justification, declared righteous before God. I have sanctification, that process right now of being saved from the power of sin. And in the future, being saved from the presence of sin, the Bible calls glorification. You saw the one verse said glory in it. It's glorification. That as amazing as it is, someday I will stand before him and I won't just be like positionally declared clean and righteous. I will be. So justification is past. It's positional. As far as God's concerned, that's where I'm at. Sanctification is present, and it's progressive. I should be better today than I was last year. It's never like this. It's always, yep, I screwed up. 
then it gets a little better, and then I screwed up. But when I look at the bigger picture, I should be farther along than I was way back then. That's sanctification. That's uh, present. That's progressive. Glorification is future. It's perspective. It's looking ahead. Um, And it's permanent. I won't ever have to struggle again with those things someday. Justification is how God sees us in Christ. When I was a kid and I first heard this, when I first came to Jesus, I'm 18 years old and, and I know what kind of life I'm living, I know where my thoughts are, I know where my problems are, and, and when I realize that God sees me as perfect because he sees me in Christ, all I could think of was way back in the 70s is Jesus, um, it's like God is looking at me through Jesus-colored glasses. Satan, you know where Satan is right now, Right? You think, yeah, he's in my house waiting for me when I get home. No, he's in heaven. Do you know that? He's in heaven accusing Christians. And here's how I picture it in my head. He goes up to God. He says, do you see Tim? Do you see what Tim did? The sad thing is, he's probably telling the truth. Do you see what Tim did? And God looks at me through Jesus, because Jesus holds his hand up and says, I got that. I paid for that. He has been freed from the penalty of sin. And God sees me as as righteous. That's mind-blowing to me and to my family. (laughs) (laughs) Sanctification is what we are in our daily experience. Glorification is what we will be in heaven. Okay? Justification is something done for us. Sanctification is something done in us. Glorification is something that will be done to us. And justification, back then, glorification someday are amazing things, but sanctification is where we as followers of Jesus are living at the moment, and it's not always what we'd like it to be. That's, I think, why so many people struggle with the reality of, of their salvation, because it's not really the salvation that's in question. It's that they're not living the way they should. They keep making the wrong choices. They keep doing the wrong things. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to put this up on the screen. I'm going to read kind of a long passage. Um, and as I do that, it's from the book of Romans. And it gives, the reason I want to read the whole thing is because it gives us three things that can make this whole sanctification thing, the freedom from the power of sin, work in your life more. This is what it does. So you can write it on your notes, just Romans 6, and you can go back and read it later, but it won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read this. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. The first four verses of that chapter are kind of an introduction, but they actually talk about some of the things that are in the chapter, and it says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? It's like, since I've been justified, and that's an amazing thing. If I sin more, it's like, there's more grace. Should I do that? And the obvious answer is, of course not, verse 2. Since we have died to sin, and that's an important concept we'll get to. We have died to sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians... We were baptized to become one with Jesus Christ. We died with him. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now, I just want to say, it talked in that passage about baptism, and people, it's very easy to get confused there. It did not mention water in that passage. 
because I don't believe it's talking about water baptism. The reason I don't believe it is is because baptism does not save us. The Bible says very clearly we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace, through faith, and no works. You know what you can do to merit your salvation? Nothing. Jesus did it all. We are saved by grace through faith in Him. We're going to have a baptism service next month, I think. It might be the end of this month. I think it's next month. Um, I'll announce it in plenty of time. Don't worry. Um, What that is, is that's a picture, an outside picture of what happened on the inside. I died with Jesus. Buried, rose with Him. And my life changed. And that baptism is an outward symbol of what happened inside, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Are we supposed to do it? Yes. We're commanded to be baptized, but it doesn't save us. No work does. It just identifies us with Jesus and with the body of Christ. This is more likely referring to what the Bible calls spirit baptism that happens to a person when they place their trust in Jesus. The moment you say, Jesus, I believe that what you did was for me. The Spirit, the way it describes it, is He places us into the body of Christ. He places us into Christ, and it calls that that baptism of the Spirit, one with Christ Jesus. So that's just the little introduction of it. The rest of the chapter is going to show three things that you can do. So if you want if you want your sanctification to be going a better direction, if you want to be more free from the power of sin now than you were before, these are the three ways that it happens. The first one is this. Consider yourself dead. (laughs) I have to believe that. Here's what it says, verses 5 through 11. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as he was. Verse 6, our old sinful selves, that person I used to be, was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And you say, well, I feel like one. That's because you've got to do these three things. It says, verse 7, when we died with Christ. It's going to say that many, many times. For all practical purposes, as a follower of Jesus, I died with Christ. I was crucified with him so that sin could lose its power in my life. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Very clearly it says that. We were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. We are sure of this, verse 9, because Jesus rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. He died once to defeat sin. And now he lives for the glory of God. So, because of what he did, because we died with him, you should consider yourself dead. That's what verse 11 says. So you should consider yourself dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can you live a good life through, that would glorify God through Jesus? Yes. You have to count it that way. Consider it. What that word means when we consider ourselves dead, it means some translations say you reckon yourself dead. You count yourself as dead. Regard yourself as dead. See yourself as dead. So what I have to do on a daily basis when I'm struggling with things is I have to realize, okay, I'm dead to sin. 
I'm dead to me. I am alive to Christ. I have to know that in my heart, not just have this little pithy thing that I believe. I have to really consider myself dead. So that's the first thing you have to do, and that's a hurdle some people have a real hard time getting over. And the reason is because here's what most people think about sin. All I have to do is try harder, and I won't sin. Anybody try harder and still screw up? We wouldn't have 150 people at Celebrate Recovery <laughs> if that wasn't true. And probably another 100 here that should be there that aren't. We think if we just try harder, and you know what this just said? No, don't try harder. Consider yourself dead. And that leads to the next point. See, we want it to be our power that does this. Here's the next point. Number two, give up. Give up. You see, I've done that. <laughs> this is a different give up. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. So we don't give in to that, it says. Do not let any part of your body become a tool or an instrument of wickedness. So things that you possess, things that you are, can be used for the wrong things. We know all that. To be used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God. Give up your thing. Realize you're dead first, and then give up your thing. If you're dead, you don't need it anyhow. Give it up to God, since you have been given new life, and use your whole body as a tool, as an instrument, to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin, and said you are free by God's grace. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to count yourself as dead. See yourself as dead and give up. You're not going to be able to do it anyhow. Give up trying. Give up your stuff. Give yourself completely to God. And then number three, obey. A lot of people try to do number three without doing one and two first, and it doesn't work. You have to first See yourself, consider yourself as dead. You have to give up your stuff, your rights, realizing that you are dead to sin. We're giving ourselves completely to Him. And then we can obey. Verse 15 says, So, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean, and he's going to ask this question numerous times, but since His grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And too many people I know answer that question, yes, because God's grace will take care of it. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyhow because God's grace is big. And he says, that's not how we live. That's not how we become free from the power of sin because we have freedom from sin. That's not freedom to sin. Big difference. Here's what he says. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey, and if you're choosing the wrong thing, whatever you choose to obey becomes your master. You can choose sin, verse 16, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. He says, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. That's, that's a process and it's also because we have considered ourselves dead, 
We have given up our own stuff and we are choosing to obey Him because all through this passage, it's a choice. And we have that choice because we have Jesus. He says, I speak this way, talking about slaves and masters and stuff, using the illustration of slaves and masters because it is easy to understand. And it's like, okay, maybe 2,000 years ago that was easy to understand. But I don't live in that world. But I I have a little bit of an idea. Here's what that was like. Whoever you're obeying, whoever you are locked into obeying is your master. You're a slave. So right now, if you're choosing to obey sin, that's your master. You are a slave to sin. He says, before, you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness. Now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. You're picking a new master. In those days when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, you weren't concerned with doing what is right. And what was the result? It was not good since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. I don't know about you, but there's some things that I'm ashamed that I did because I was was picking from the wrong perspective back then. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. And then it ends, that chapter ends with a very famous verse that that we need to understand. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And I know that what people say is the wages of everybody else's sin is death, but mine's not that bad. I'm only sinning a little bit. I know this is what God says, but I'm going to do this. And we forget that the wages of sin is death. And there are, does, does he free us from the penalty of sin? Yes. Are there still consequences until we're glorified? Yes. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you consider yourself dead. You give up and obey. You say, I can't. That's, that's why you have to do this, because you can't. But he can. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have a power in you, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that wants to help you live the kind of life that, w- that will get you closer so that when that glorification happens, it won't be such a big change. We want to be moving that direction. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have to start there. That's where real freedom begins. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. I know, Father, that this this whole issue is something that all of us struggle with. We all struggle with sin, even though we're freed from the penalty of sin. um, We understand that there is a sense in which we're freed from the power of sin, but we're living in that whole now and not yet thing. So my prayer is that as we realize that if we follow Jesus, we died to sin. We are crucified with Christ. And it's not just we that live now, but we live in Christ. And we have the power that we need to overcome those things. But I know, Father, that there's some here that have never taken that first step. For them, they looked at religion as the ball and chain and stayed as far away from it as they could. And in the process, they didn't just push religion away, they pushed Jesus away. And my prayer, Father, is today they would realize that Jesus died for them so that they could experience true, real freedom. And that in simple faith they would say, I believe that what you did paid for my sin. I'm going to trust that. 
I'm going I'm to put my faith into you, Jesus. And, and have not just their life now changed, but their whole eternity changed. Father, thank you for what you're doing in us and through us and what you are going to do someday to us. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. All three of the things we talked about were right there. In the past, salvation from the penalty of sin, justification. In the present, salvation from the power of sin, that sanctification, setting apart for him and in the future. From the presence of sin, glorification, because in my Father's house are many rooms. He wants you there. It says, Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's appeared to you. It's there. If you've never received it, today's your day. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to do that while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's where real freedom begins, with a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you came down here, became one of us, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then willingly gave that up, sacrificed yourself so that you could pay the price for our sin that we could not pay ourselves, and that by simply placing our faith and trust in you, we can become children of the King. We can have a home reserved for us in heaven and we can go through that process now of becoming more like Jesus, being able to experience freedom from the power of sin. Father, thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus that can never be taken away. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.